Nehemiah chapter 4. As you're finding uh, the passage today, I just want to share a, a couple of things. Nine years ago, this past Thursday, uh, marked the first Sunday in which I stood before Faith Church, and um, I told you that it would be my honor and, and privilege to try to serve as your pastor. And um, I always kind of mark that date, and it's just something that I always remember. And, uh, it was a blessed day in my life. I found out earlier that week that um, I was going to be a father. And uh, so I became a father and a pastor uh, within 24 hours of each other. And uh, God changed my life in early July of 2012. And uh, here we are. But I'm grateful uh, to the Lord for His blessings. And taking on the pastorate here, there was good elders and good brothers uh, here at the church, Brother Beatty, uh, Brother John, uh, Brother Daryl, uh, different ones who made it a point to encourage me and to instruct me. And I remember a conversation I had with Brother Daryl, and uh, which he was he was encouraging me and telling me that that as pastor that God would give me the vision for the church. And at that time, I was in terms of being a pastor, I may as well have been a kid that couldn't tie my shoelaces yet. And I thought, Brother Daryl, you're talking to me about me having a vision for the church, and, and I'm just trying to figure out what it's going to be like to, to preach and to teach two or three times a week. And, and Daryl, we'll, we'll, we'll walk before we run. But as I look back on that conversation that I've had with him, what I've noted is that he's exactly right. That God has at different times and in different seasons here at the church given me specific direction in which He is desiring to take the people of Faith Church. And I'm glad that He does that. It, it is what allows me and compels me to be able to preach that I can seek after the things that we stand in need of hearing and, and how we might be led and directed by His Spirit from Sunday to Sunday, from, from this service to this service, from that event to another event. Then a few years ago, I'm getting somewhere in all this, a few years ago we were down at Old Union Church and Brother Bruce Adamson, I know many of you know Brother Bruce, and Brother Bruce is uh, he's a little bit of a cowboy. And I don't know if you know him or not, but uh, he likes riding horses and, and uh, he's, he's just a man that has a good spirit and I love Brother Bruce very much. And he was teaching a lesson down at Old Union from the book of Nehemiah in which he entitled it, The Midnight Ride of Nehemiah. Now, if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, what you'll read here earlier on in the book uh, that bears his name is about how he had came back to Jerusalem. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but he had came back to Jerusalem and he went out at night on horseback and he rode around the walls of Jerusalem examining the damage and how those walls had fell. And the point that Brother Bruce eventually got to was about how as a pastor, how as a leader in the church of God, that from time to time it is necessary for us to examine the walls of the church. He talked about the doctrines and the work of the Lord and those types of things in that lesson. It's available on Old Union's website. I strongly encourage you to go and listen to that. But I'm bringing those two things together to tell you this. That there are times in which I, as, as a pastor at Faith Church, I spend time in prayer and consideration of how we're doing as a church. I go out and I check the walls. I go out and I examine the gates and see are we upholding the doctrines and the truths that we hold to? Are we abiding in the principles that the Lord would have us to abide in? How is our practice? How is our faithfulness? How are we doing in Sunday school? How are we doing on Wednesday nights and on Sunday nights and as we work up to VBS or, or different events and things that are going on? And I do that underneath a vision that God would have for Faith Church. And so I tell you all of those things to tell you this, that while God might move upon me and upon us as He would direct us and as He would lead us, God's desire is to use His people for His work. And for His purpose. It is not that He would merely influence me and, and move upon me or that I would spend time in prayer and in study concerning these things. He might do that, that I might come and preach and speak with boldness and with clarity concerning the vision and the direction that we are to go as a church. But I want you to know today that walls don't get built if the people of God don't build them. And I'm kind of giving away the sermon a little bit here. Let's read quickly. We're just going to read the first six verses of Nehemiah chapter 4, and then we'll say more uh, about the things here. It says, But it came to pass that when Sambalat heard that we build the wall, he was wroth, 
And he took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they built, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Nehemiah answers and he prays and he says, Hear, O God, O our God, for we are despised, and turn the reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Listen to verse 6. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. He says we had reached the halfway point in rebuilding the wall for the people had a mind to work. For the people had a mind to work. We would be right if we were to change the word of mind to say heart. For the people had a heart to work. You ever seen a, a TED Talk? I bet you probably have. My mom, I think that's all she watches, is TED Talks. Several years ago, an organization got together. They invite all these really good speakers to come and tell encouraging stories and give lessons about different things of life and, and work and all these sorts of things. I don't have a TED Talk for you today. and uh, <laughs> Preaching's better than a TED Talk is. But, if you'll listen to me for a little while today, I'll tell you about what lays the foundation of a people having a mind to work. Scripture tells us that these people had a heart for the work that they were doing. They must have had, because they built the wall, rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in just 52 days. These people must have had a heart for the work. There was something that underlied that heart. There was a reason that they had a heart for the work. And I want to talk to you about that today. Before we can get there, I need to tell you a little bit about what's happening, about what's going on. I told you that I had the full eight, first eight chapters of this book as our scripture text. And I'm going to just try to quickly move through some things about this. We find that Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the Lord. It is another example, just like Daniel was of how, or how Esther was of how God has raised people up that they might be in a position of influence in these different kingdoms. And he has raised up Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the Lord, he is, or cupbearer of the king, and he's serving underneath King Artaxerxes. We find that he's about 20 years into the reign of King Artaxerxes, and someone comes to him and is telling him about the things that are going on in Jerusalem. Now, I don't have time to get into all the ins and outs of how the people of God are coming in and out of captivity, but what we find is that people have returned to Jerusalem, and they find themselves to be deeply discouraged. They find themselves to be underneath great affliction and reproach and distress, the Scriptures tell us. And the walls have fallen down around the city and they have been laid to waste and they just crumble. And so this news reaches Nehemiah and he hears these things and Nehemiah is crushed. His spirit becomes very heavy. And he is made to weep and to mourn concerning the city of Jerusalem. Now I want to ask you a question. If we were to look around today, or if we were in some far off country, and somebody brought us word concerning our community, concerning the state of our society, we would be beside ourselves hearing the things that are going on, wouldn't we? I know we watch the news, we hear about the things that are taking place, and we develop feelings and opinions about them. But I want you to think for a minute. If you had been gone for 20 years... And we were to rewind the clock to July 11, 2001, and somebody comes to you 20 years later and says, here are all the things that have happened over the last 20 years. Here in this place, here in this country, here in this state, here in this community. You would be beside yourself, wouldn't you? We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 
the attacks of September 11, 2001. You would, what happened? You would hear about school shootings and violence and just rampant things that are going on in communities and, and sinfulness and just how things have, have gone awry and all the things that have happened here over these last 20 years. And I believe that you would be made to mourn and to weep concerning the things that have taken place. But I want to ask you a question. If you're older than 20 years old today, you've lived through all of those things. I've lived through all of those things. When is the last time that you have been moved to weep and to mourn concerning the state of your society? I'll tell you the reason why we don't. You've probably heard it said before about a frog. About how if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water, that frog's going to hop right back out. Why? Because the water's hot. But if you were to put that frog in a pot of room temperature water and you were just to slowly turn the heat up, that frog would stay in that pot until it was boiling. We're like that frog. These last 20 years, things have changed just a little bit at a time. And we've been busy and caught up in other affairs of life. And as a result of that, we've not had it to be something where all at once we grow to mourn and to weep over the condition of society. But it just gets turned up a a little bit more at a time. I pray that God would give us a great awakening. Not just a great revival in which He would revive our spirits, but a great awakening that we would see the despair and the affliction and the distress that is around us. That we'd be awakened, that He would open our eyes, that we would see the things that are going on and that our hearts would be made to be heavy and to weep over these things. I'm going to get ahead of myself for a minute, but I want you to know one reason why we don't see great revival falling over this country, great revival falling over the Lord's churches is because we're not desperate for it. We long for it, we say we desire it and we want it, but are you desperate for it? There is a difference. Now I want you to understand something about what's going on. Nehemiah has has heard these things and he's mourned over these things. And what does he do? He mourns for a few days and he then he starts fasting and praying. And you need to go back. Listen to me. I want each one of you this week, go back to the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah and I want you to spend time reading the prayer that Nehemiah prays before God. It is one of the great examples of prayer that we have in Scripture. He calls out to the Lord and He says, Lord, may Your ear be attentive to me and may Your eye see the things going on. He says, You have told that if Your people were to go astray, that You would scatter them amongst the nations. And He said, But, He said, But, You said, If You turn unto Me and keep My commandments and do them, though there were of You cast out into the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set My name there. What we see is that what Nehemiah is doing is not unlike what Moses has done in prayer or what David has done in prayer, but he is beseeching the Lord on the basis of God God's character on the basis of God's Word that God would hear Him and see Him and answer His prayer. We should wrestle with God in prayer like that. God, hear me. Turn your eye upon the things that are going on. You have said in Your Word who You are and how You would not leave me nor forsake me. So God, because of Your promise, hear me today. God is blessed when we say that to Him. When we call upon Him, because there is no other name that we can call upon that is that very present help in our time of need that Brother Corey talked about. So, Nehemiah prays. And it comes to pass, and it's in the month of Nisan, and he's serving the king. And the king looks at Nehemiah and he can tell something's wrong. The best I can tell about Nehemiah is that he was a man who was 
happy. He had a good countenance to him, a good demeanor to him. He was one that was just, as we would say in, in our covenant, he was just exemplary in his deportment and how he served the king and how he served after God. And the king looks at him and he can tell that something is going on. And, and he looks at him and he says that, that there must be some sorrow of your heart. He says, you are not sick, so it must be that your face looks this way because of the sorrow of your heart. And Scripture tells us that Nehemiah was afraid because of what he was going to ask him. And so Nehemiah tells him of the report that he received from Jerusalem about the things that are going on there. And he asked that the king would allow him to, to go back to Jerusalem to see the things that are going on, that he might return unto that city. And the king asked him, he says, well, how long will you be gone? And, and Nehemiah commits to a, a certain timeline that he will be gone. It doesn't tell us how long, and different people believe different things about what that time frame was. But the king there, he's with the queen, and he says, how long will you be gone? And, and we see Nehemiah sets a time. And then he says, king, would you send with me letters that as I travel back to Jerusalem, that as I pass by the way, that the governors of the different areas would, would have a letter from you that they would see that I would be conveyed over into Jerusalem. And also, if you could send with me a letter to the king who is over all the forests, that he would provide to me lumber to rebuild the gates in Jerusalem. Did you hear that? God provided the supplies that Nehemiah would need to rebuild the city while he was on his way to Jerusalem through the king <laughs> that was secular. Isn't that amazing? Listen, I'm just getting so far ahead of myself. I'll come back to it in a second. Listen to me. I just want you to know <laughs> there are certain sermons and certain things that I study and I prepare for that they just get deep-rooted in me. And this is one of them. And I pray that God would help us to see His message for us this morning. So Nehemiah makes his way back to Jerusalem. And he gets there. And he mounts up on a horse. And he goes out and he rides the gates. He rides the walls. And he sees how they have fallen down in destruction. And he gets back to Jerusalem. And he gets all the people together. And he gets the people together and he begins to tell them about what he has seen. And he begins to tell them about how God has dealt with him and about the work that God has done in raising him up to this, this position of cupbearer and how God's hand has been upon him. And I want you to know, Nehemiah recognizes that the, the kind-heartedness of the king to allow him to go back to Jerusalem was only affected because the hand of God was upon him. Listen to me today, church. If there be anything that we would do for the glory of God, it was that we would do it with the hand of God with us. We sang that song earlier, didn't we? That we're trusting to the unseen hand. That's exactly what we are holding to. That's exactly what Nehemiah testified of, that the hand of God was with him. So he told the people all these things that had transpired about how he had arrived at this place and, and what he has seen in the destruction. Now, I want to say something to you about these people. The best that I understand from the timeline is that it had been about 70 years since these people would have came into Jerusalem. Now, you know as well as I do that over 70 years, there's multiple generations considered over the course of that time span. There were people that Nehemiah was, who not, excuse me, who Nehemiah was talking to that all they had known about Jerusalem were these torn down walls and these destroyed gates. That's all they knew. There are some of you today who all you know about the Lord's church that we're smaller than the church up the street, that it doesn't seem that we have the facilities or maybe the talents or the abilities or the resources that these other places have, that sometimes we seem stuffy because all we do is sing those old hymns. And sometimes people would come with us and they'd be a little surprised by our ways or, or how things would be happening here, shouting or, or preaching or testifying or people being moved to tears by the Spirit of God. And, and that's all that you know. 
I'm 34 years old, and the best that I know, basically all 34 of those years, I've grown up just between three or four churches. Here in this area, all three or four of those churches are missionary Baptists by their name, and, and all three and four of those churches are not all that different from this one right here. If you're like me, a service like this one today is about all you've known. That's how these people were in Jerusalem. That's all they knew. And Nehemiah comes to them. And he says, I want to tell you about how I've got here. And how the hand of God has been upon me. And how I've gone out and I've surveyed these walls. And I've looked at these gates. And I know that you see them and you say, well, that's just how they've always been. And you just say, it doesn't seem like they're going to be any different at all. He says, but I want you to know that I've come back that we might rebuild these walls. And the people said to Nehemiah, let us rise up and build. Nehemiah did not have to compel them. Nehemiah conveyed to them the vision that he had of the Lord and how God's hand had been upon them. And the people responded with a heart to work. They said, let us rise up and build. They said, Nehemiah, we have heard you and we are ready for the job. I want you to know, Nehemiah did not come as some motivational speaker. If you're like me, you can hear some motivational speech. You can hear some locker room speech. And and somebody gets down and claps their hands and says, rah, rah, and you get fired up and you're ready to go. And you'll go out there and you'll find yourself ready to to just take a, a squirt gun up against the gates of hell. But those moments seem to be fleeting when we have that kind of conviction. If all we are motivated by is some good motivational speech. It takes something that is far more enduring. Nehemiah did not come to them to rah-rah the troops. They might mount up and build. Listen to me. Families would not spend... Listen, these families worked together to rebuild the wall. And families would not work together for 52 days, nearly around the clock, rarely stopping, but committed to the work just as a result of some motivational speech. By day 10, by day 12, by day 22, by day 38, those people would have been out of their motivation. Especially with all these people mocking them and threatening them. No, God had stirred in their hearts. God had compelled them. God had given them the conviction to build. It was God who was moving upon these people. Listen, if you are coming today and you're expecting to merely be motivated by the words of some preacher that would get up and preach to you that you might live for the Lord, you are going to walk away sorely lacking because it is not motivation by words alone that results in service to the Lord. But instead, it is that the Spirit of God will grab a hold of you and build up conviction in your heart that you would find yourself completely given over, completely in surrenderance to the Lord. Every now and then you'll hear some good young man get up and he will announce and he will profess that God has called him to the ministry. I want you to know, Somebody standing up and announcing that God has called them to preach is far different than somebody taking ownership of that calling on their life. Listen, God called me to preach in December of 2006. I announced it in February 2007. I don't think I fully surrendered myself to it probably until about 2009-2010. There's a difference in saying God has called me to do this And you saying, I surrender myself to the calling of God. These people were not motivated because somebody came to them and said, you know what, Nehemiah, that's a great idea. These walls look awful. You know, our city would be a lot prettier if we were to rebuild these walls. That's not what Nehemiah came to them to say. He saw the city of God with the dwelling place of God, the temple of God in the midst of the city. And he saw its gates laying in waste. And he came to these people, who, many of whom, that's all that they'd ever known, was these walls that had laid in waste. And he said, let us build these walls. 
book on leadership, read the book of Nehemiah. You'll find good lessons on leadership here in the book of Nehemiah. You'll find how Nehemiah organized the people for the work. How they, each of them were kind of gathered together in their own families to, to work as a, as a family on the part of the wall that Nehemiah had put them over. And they all worked together. This isn't just some small wall. We're not talking about walls around a room like this. We're talking about walls around a city. And so I can just picture all around the walls of Jerusalem, families encamped and working on the wall. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful sight that must have been to God. To see His people working on the walls of the city of God. <laughs> so what gave these people a mind to work? Why, why did these people have his heart to work. There's two things I want to tell you about. The first is that the man of God came to them with a vision from God. He came to them with a message from God to rebuild. He had prayed and God's hand had been upon him and he had leave of, of his duties of cupbearer before the king that he would come to Jerusalem for the purpose of reconstructing the wall. Now, I want you to know that there is no greater challenge from my standpoint as a pastor than to adequately convey the direction of God to a people in the day and age that we live in. There are so many things that would cause you to doubt. There are so many things that would cause you to say, Derek, that sounds all well and good, but but you know, I've got this thing going on or that thing going on or, or you know, Derek, I, I'm just not really convinced that's really the direction that God wants us to go because I'd kind of like for us to go this other direction. I just want you to know how hard that is to convey that message. Nehemiah did it full of the Spirit and full of love for the work that God had directed him to do. And the people received it with a gladness and a love in their heart for the Lord that we're going to get to in just a minute at such a degree that Nehemiah didn't have to do any work to convince them. But they said in response, let us rise up and build. I had been pastoring here at Faith Church very long, but my wife and I were coming back every Wednesday night back to the church. Just her and I, we weren't having midweek services at the time, but her and I, we were living in Indianapolis at the time. We would drive down every single Wednesday night just for her and I to meet here and have prayer. She'd play the piano a little bit. So I'd read the Bible a little bit. We'd get down and we'd pray together and we'd go back home. The church didn't know why I was doing that. Didn't make a big to-do about it. It was just time that my wife and I had to come together as we were trying to figure out how in the world to lead the people of God and serving as an under-shepherd here at the church. I guess a couple of months have passed by, I don't know how long, maybe, but I had finally mentioned in, in, in preaching about how much I had desired that we would have a midweek service. I got done preaching that day, and Sister Bernice was sitting about where Sierra is sitting right now. And you know Sister Bernice and the love that she has for the Lord. And she would always kind of have her arms like this, and she would just kind of pick up her arm and she was talking. I can picture this in my mind as if it was yesterday. And she said, Derek... She said, Brother John and I will be here Wednesday night. We started our midweek services that next Wednesday, and they've kept going all these years later. <laughs> the saint of God heard the vision, and she said, let us rise up and build. I don't know how Wednesday nights have helped you over the course of these last five, six, seven, eight years, but they've helped me immensely. I think that they were pivotal in helping us through the time of COVID. Amen. And it goes back to the saint of God saying, I'll be here Wednesday night. We never had to make a motion. We never had to do anything to start them. That's just how they started. That's awesome. That's how it should be. I don't say that to say anything about me. I say that to uplift the saint of God that's gone on to be with the Lord. Her memory follows her even today. 
These people had a mind for the work. They had a heart for the work because they trusted in the one who had came and said to them, here is how God's hand has been upon me and has brought me to this place that we might rebuild these walls. But the driving part of even that, the driving part of even why they would receive the vision that the man of God had came to them with was because they loved the Lord. And if you want to know about the love that these people had for the Lord, their love for the Lord was expressed later on in chapter 8. I'm going to get to that in just a second, but I want to talk to you a little bit more about these people. These people, like I said, they were just new generations here. All they had known was these torn down walls. They were living outside the city because the city walls were torn down. They had came out of captivity in Babylon. They were still clinging to these old ways of uh, that they were practicing in Babylon. Things that, that weren't that which would be uh, conveying who God was or, or conveying who the people of God were. These people weren't people that we would look to and say these are upstanding examples of the people of God. These weren't the best and brightest. These weren't the people that we would have said, well, of course those people had a mind to work. You're talking about the best people that God had. That's not who we're talking about. These were people that didn't know the wonderful stories of the past. They'd probably heard about them, but they hadn't lived through them. Young people, do you ever wonder about you hear somebody get up and they talk about the great services that used to be had where churches were just on fire and you'd have 14, 15 people getting baptized and churches were growing and all these things were going on? I remember stories from when I was a kid about how they'd have to open up windows because church houses were full so people would be sitting on the lawn to hear the, the Word of God. And I've heard all those stories all my life, but I haven't lived through them. They don't mean much to me other than I, I recognize and respect how my elders and how those older than me hold those stories dear to their hearts. They aren't the things that compel me to serve the Lord. I'm not compelled to serve the Lord by memories of God's former goodness. I'm compelled to serve the Lord on the promise of God's present and future goodness. <laughs> Oh, I pray that you are too. <laughs> Listen, if, if you're holding on to things in the past to compel you to serve the Lord, you are going to find yourself downcast and just, 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 and just depression concerning the state of the church today. But if you look ahead, if you see the things that God is doing now and the things that God can do and will do in the future, you will find your, 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 depression concerning the current state of the churches to be replaced with a great excitement and hope of what God can do. What compels you? Is it the former good times that you've heard about or that you've seen? Or is it the assurance that God remains the same as He has ever been in the things that He can do and will do in the future? What compels you? What compels you? These people weren't compelled by what they had heard about in the past. They were compelled by the man of God who came and said, we need to rebuild these walls. <laughs> and they said, let us rise up and get to work. These people, as they worked, I get to see them growing closer and their families growing closer as a people. Finally, the walls are built. You can go and read between chapters 5, 6, and 7 about how the walls were finished and all the things that went on and how they were under threat and, and how eventually they had to arm themselves. They had to, to work with one hand and hold a weapon with the other just to protect themselves from their enemies while they were purposed to build this wall. And they built it in 52 days. Not a power tool in sight. We can't repair a road in 52 days. These people rebuilt the walls of the great city in 52 days. We get to chapter 8. It says, All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. All the people gathered themselves together in a, in a common place in a plaza, and they said, Ezra, get the law book. Bring the book before us. 
It says, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both the men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the plaza, that was before the water gate, from morning until midday. From morning till noon. Ezra read the law of Moses. I should be able to preach a lot longer than I normally do. But that's how Ezra preached, don't you think? I don't, <laughs> I don't think so either. But Ezra read the law from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and all the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. He wasn't just reading and people were going about their business doing something else. He was reading from the law and the people gave him their full attention. It says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit made of wood, which they had made for the purpose so that he could stand up and they could see him. And beside him stood, and I'm going to mispronounce all these names, so we'll just kind of move ahead of them. It says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Remember, he's on a pulpit. He's above all the people. All the people were looking up to Ezra as he opened the book. And as he opened the book, Ezra opened the book, and all the people stood up. They had a reverence and a respect and a desire to hear the Word of God. They stood up like a courtroom would stand up when the bailiff says, All rise, honorable judge so-and-so presiding. Ezra opened the book and him opening the book was asked to say, All rise, the honorable God Jehovah is presiding. And they stood from morning until midday listening to Ezra read the law. These people love the Lord. They loved His Word. They had a respect and an honor for it and a desire for it. They didn't find it some inconvenience that this man would stand and read. They built a, a platform like this one that they could see Him while He read from the law. They compelled Him. He said, Ezra, come and read to us from the law. And they loved it and they desired after it. In verse 6 it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered and said, Amen! Amen! With lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. <laughs> These people love the Lord. They loved the direction and the vision that God had for them. No wonder they had a mind for the work. I need to speak to you for a few minutes as a pastor. As I survey the day and age that we live in, as I go on midnight rides like Nehemiah did around the walls and surveying the gates, there are things that just just about worry me to death. And there are things that just about excite me to no end. I get real worried when I see churches that are on the brink of closing their doors. Listen to me, people. We need to be praying for our sister churches. There's at least three or four churches in the Bethel Association that I worry deeply that they won't be here in five years. And you say, well, Derek, that's, you're being dramatic. I'm not being dramatic when I say those things. <laughs> oh, oh, it breaks my heart to see you think about it. And I may be undercounting. And those things, well, the reason why they worry me you know, Ronald Reagan, when he was President of the United States, he said this, he said that freedom is never more than one generation from being extinct. So is the church. It's never more than one generation from being removed. You walk into a lot of churches and they're just really filled with elderly people and old people. And God love them. May they be blessed for how they continue to hold on to the work. But unless God intervenes, those churches where they are made up of those congregations, they're just not going 
to make it. This perseverance of the church, the sustaining of the church, the, the continuance of the church is never more than one generation away from being lost. That worries me. I hear a lot of times people say, well, Derek, it seems like you just had a lot of success at Faith Church. I say, I want you to know two things. One, it has nothing to do with me. It's the Lord. And number two, it has nothing to do with me. It's the people. But if we lose our desire for the Lord, if we lose a mind for the work, if we find ourselves to just grow complacent, listen to me, my friend, we won't be more than one generation from finding ourselves to fall away. But I get excited. Listen, listen, this isn't a message of just doom and gloom, I promise you. (laughs) It's a message of encouragement because I'm excited when I see the things that God's able to do through His people. I'm excited when I see God's young people and just different things that will happen, different testimonies, different things that I'll be praying about. And, and all of a sudden, like dinner revival, Sister Haley will stand up and thank the Lord for being saved and request prayer for her sister. And I said, God's still moving on people. I get discouraged sometimes because the young people just don't seem to, to be as, as, as attentive or as, as participating in the ways that they used to. And every moment, every now and then, God says, you don't worry about the generation that I'll rise up. Oh, all at once. These young people, we say, well, you know, they just don't seem like they're all that engaged. or They don't participate in service very much. I'm just convinced one day God's going to set them all on fire and there's something to hush. That'll be all right with me. But here's why I don't get discouraged. Here's why I have hope for the future. Here's why I'm encouraged about the things that God can still do here at Faith. We have everything we need to be a mighty people for the Lord. We have every talent that we need. We have all the money and resources that we need. We have all the time that we need. Here's the bad news. All the talent is sitting in these seats. All the money that we need sitting in our pocketbooks. And all the time that we need is being spent on other activities. The reality is that there is nothing that prevents us from doing the things that God would desire for us to do. We have all the talent, we have all the resources, and we have all the time that we would need if we would find ourselves to use them for the purpose and the glory of God. You say, well, Derek, you know, I hear, and you're right, there are some people that have talents. You know, they can get up and sing, and they can teach and do all these sorts of, sorts of things. But, you know, I'm, I just don't have a lot of, a lot of talent. And you say, Derek, I, I have talents, but I, I don't know how to use my talents for, for the vision of the Lord, for the purpose of the Lord. You say, well, Derek, I don't even know if I truly understand what the vision of Faith Church is. You know, a couple months ago, we actually adopted what the vision, what the mission of the church is, as we put it. We know that it's found in the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew, that we are to go ye into all the world and to, to teach them and to baptize and to continue to teach. We know the commission of the Lord, but we have boiled that down here at Faith Church to four things. W-E-E-E, do you remember that? That we would worship the Lord. That we'd find ourselves to edify one another, to encourage one another, to build each other up. That we'd find ourselves to engage in the community that is around us. And that we would find ourselves evangelizing, proclaiming the gospel to those that are lost and without Christ. Your talents plug in one of those four, I promise you. You might be that which all of a sudden God has blessed you with a voice, but you've never really used it before, and you start singing specials that just bless the people of God, and the Spirit of God falls on the people, and they're just moved as a result of you using your talents to worship the Lord. Or you might be one that has a talent when it comes to how you can edify and and pick up a phone and check on people and see how they're doing and, and encourage them. Listen, some of you got the gift of gab. Use it for the Lord. Rex, got the gift of gab, my brother. (laughs) Some of you got the gift of gab. Use it 
for the Lord. Some of you have an ability to just engage in the community. You just have personalities that people are drawn to and and you have good reputations and all these things. Use them for the Lord. And some of you have an ability to just sit down with somebody and talk to them about their soul and they're left with the conviction of God upon them and they pray and they seek after God and they get saved. Use your talents to evangelize. The point that I'm trying to make to you is no matter what your talent is, it can be used for the Lord. Sister Bernice used to teach my Sunday school class growing up, and she would talk about her children and about how so many of them had musical talents and abilities, and she was worried that God would take those talents away if they didn't use them for the Lord. How are you using your talents? You say, well, Derek, you know, I I don't have much money to to give to the Lord. You You talked about... We have all that we need from a resources perspective, but I, I, I just don't even have much to even give. Have you forgotten what God can do with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fishes? God don't need much. <laughs> In fact, God's more concerned with that, that we give than He is with how much we give. He desires that we would give back to Him in the first fruits of our labors, that we would show forth that we know and that we recognize that our ability to to earn, our ability to make, our ability to to have an income is because of Him and that we would give back to Him as a result of that. That's His desire. And whether it means that we have a huge stockpile in the bank or just a little bit, God can take it and He can use it for His purposes. Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and he asked the king, hey, can you give me a letter that I can ask the governor over the forest to send lumber with me that I have what I need to rebuild the gates. God will take care of it if we find ourselves doing what he has asked us to do and giving back to the Lord. You say, well, Derek, I I don't even know if he can. You go back and you ask those people that got their belly full of a couple of bread and a few fishes. There was thousands of them that ate that day. There's a baby shower here yesterday. My wife was real worried about the food. And she said she got there and the food was all set up. And she said she took a picture of it and sent it to Sister Jess. Now they were just kind of talking about the fact that they don't know why they get so worried about those things and gone through all these things and seen them enough and enough and enough and how God takes just a little bit and He can use it. He can use it. Time. We're so wasteful with our time. I talked a couple of years ago in a sermon about how we'll stay up late to be entertained. Stay up late to watch TV and, and do silly things. How do you spend your time? Are you spending it for the Lord? The best I can tell, these people that rebuilt the wall, you know how they spent their time? They built, they rest a little while, get something to eat, and get back on the wall. And they would keep going. Scripture talks about making the most of our time, about redeeming the time, about how short time is. My dad's best friend passed away a couple weeks ago. He went to his funeral services yesterday. As I stood there to the graveside, and I was just kind of taking it all in. I was thinking about it. The man was, was 63, so, so young uh, in terms of the course of life as we would think about it. I was thinking about what Job wrote in the 14th chapter of the book of Job. I could be wrong on that exact chapter. But about how he wrote that man who is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. I was about to thinking about how we were born and we grow up and we live life and it just seems like it passes by just like that and we end up in a box that is returned to the dust of the earth. We don't have much time. We don't have much time. And every second of every day that passes from us, lost souls are slipping in hell. We don't have much time. People say time is of the essence. My friend, the hour is urgent. How are you using your time? So, let me end by saying this. Having a mind to work is a prerequisite 
If you start in on the work without having a heart for the work, without having a mind to work, you're going to get burnt out. You're going to get upset when someone else is not working as hard as you or when someone else is working on something that you don't think is as important as what you're doing. You're going to get burnt out. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to find yourself to have a greater tendency towards getting upset at people. If you don't have the heart to work, you're eventually just going to give up and quit. If you look around us today, if you think about the people in your life, you can mark those who just gave up and they quit. I spent a few hours with a brother a couple weeks ago. I was talking to him about his family. He has a good family. One of his children has gone astray. And I said, what, what caused that? And he started talking to me about what, what had happened to, to have caused it. And I grieved. I grieved because what I realized is just how, how careful we must be. How careful we have to be in this work. For there's a lot of people that have a lot of good intentions. But what happens is they find themselves to have a lot of good intentions, but what they don't realize is that those good intentions are causing them or resulting in them in doing things that drive people away. People get burnt out. They get frustrated. They get upset. And they just give up and they quit. I mourn those <laughs> that have passed through Faith Church. <laughs> For whatever the reasons are, they've fallen away. <laughs> they're always on my mind and they're always in my prayers. <laughs> and I pray that God would stir in them a heart for the work. I pray that God would stir in you a heart and a mind to work. And that as God blesses us with that heart and with that mind, that we get down to business and we go to work. Now I could insert here about how we have a parade coming up on Saturday and we need people to come and work in the parade. I could mention here about how we have VPS coming up. And we need volunteers to come and help with Vacation Bible School. But I won't do that. I'll just pray instead that God gives you a heart, a desire, and a mind for the work. That you stand up and that you say without being asked, without anybody coming to you, you stand up and say, let us arise and let us build. May God bless His message today, I pray.